Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome once again to worship. We continue uh, this morning in our Wilderness Time Freedom People uh, series that we have been uh, exploring over these past weeks and uh, listening in on the stories of the Israelites' time in the wilderness and um, uh, gleaning what we can from uh, from the, their time in the wilderness to this present wilderness that we find ourselves in um, we might uh, say that uh, five months of this pandemic uh, certainly qualifies as wilderness, although I think at this point all of 2020 uh, can be classified in that way as, as things just continue to be kind of surreal and uh, so many things happening around us. Uh, and so let's go once again to the book of Exodus and hear our scripture reading for this morning, which is Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 6, and then continuing at 19 to 26. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tables from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are bent on evil. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. When Moses saw that the people were running wild, for Aaron had let them run wild to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Here ends the reading from God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather together. Uh, We pray for the gift of your spirit that it would open our hearts and minds, uh, that it would move in us so that we might hear a word from you. Uh, Help us, God, in the midst of our wilderness to hear your truth and your guidance for our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the formative classes uh, in my divinity school education was called God and Caesar. And it was taught by the Reverend Peter Story, who had been president of the South African Council of Churches during the struggle against apartheid. He was a white minister who spoke out against the apartheid government. His uh, church in downtown uh, Cape Town was located right across the street from the police station. And 
um, his weekly worship service was services were broadcast all over the radio. And so uh, the police would be listening in uh, as he preached uh, uh, from his pulpit. And when he began to speak against the apartheid regime, uh, the police would cross the street and roll tear gas into the back of the sanctuary to clear uh, the, the congregation. And finally, one morning, the, the radio broadcast uh, were stopped altogether and his voice uh, was silenced. From, from the radio, but he never stopped. He never stopped leading. He never stopped speaking. He never stopped pointing out the injustice uh, of an oppressive <clears throat> racist government in South Africa. Uh, and eventually, uh, as Dr. Story uh, came to the States, he began to teach this course at the Divinity School. And uh, he used this um, interaction between the church and the South African apartheid regime as a kind of case study for how the church is called to interact uh, with power, especially governmental power. And of course, uh, frequently this meant reflections on the American church, um, uh, which carried a certain critique as, as an outsider, as one who, who could see our country and, and our church uh, from a different point of view. Uh, he often lifted up critiques that taught me ways of seeing that I had not seen before. And I remember him saying in one particularly powerful lecture uh, that pastors, unfortunately, tend to be people that love to be loved. Pastors tend to be people who love to be loved. They love to hear praise at the back door of the sanctuary. They love to be patted on the back. They love, they enjoy being put on a pedestal. They enjoy the, the, the concept that people sit and listen to what they have to say. Uh, and this is true for any of us, I guess. We all love to be loved. We all want people to think that, that we do a good job, that, uh, that we have something worthwhile to offer. But it's not particularly conducive to being a good leader. Uh, because leaders have to make difficult decisions. They have to tell the truth, even when the truth is something that the people don't want to hear. They have to push the people in directions that the people may not be inclined to go. Uh, Will Willimon says that a leader puts an organization in pain that it has been avoiding, utilizing its very best resources of avoidance, in the faith that the organization can marshal the resources it has to have a future. We'll say that again. A leader puts an organization in pain that it has been avoiding, utilizing its very best resources of avoidance, in the faith that the organization can marshal the resources it has to have a future. So this is not exactly a recipe for popularity, putting, pushing people in the direction of a pain that they have been trying to avoid. That's not a recipe for handshakes and effusive praise. And the danger for a leader that is ultimately called to be obedient, first and foremost, to the calling of God, is that the love of the people becomes an addiction that prevents them from being obedient to that primary call. And so to avoid criticism and to go to, to avoid conflict and to go to all lengths necessary to spare the people from the pain they are avoiding, uh, to go to such links that the people of God are not ultimately led in the direction that God is calling them to go. And so this is a constant push and pull for those uh, who are called to lead communities of faith, to poke and to prod the people of God, to move them in directions that are uncomfortable. And Jesus, this is something that Jesus does all the time. Jesus, uh, 
for those who would come to follow him, he says, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. And he's where he says, no one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks hard truth. He pushes people uh, in ways that are difficult. Of course, while also loving and assuring and reflecting the love of God in such a way that the people know that that with God they can do hard things and that they can be better for doing those hard things. But sometimes for leaders, for human leaders, living in that tension is too much. Living in the tension of pushing people in directions that they they would uh, rather not go and then uh, sharing that love for them that they love to hear. And the demand of leadership is not as powerful as the love of being loved. Which is maybe, I think, what happens to Aaron. Uh, Moses is absent, and the people are dealing with an insecurity, uh, an insecurity that seems to be with them all the time. Uh, There's this nagging doubt that the people carry about the presence of God. They wonder if God is really there. They worry if God is really sufficient, especially when they're in a wilderness moment. Will this be enough? Will, Will we survive the next day? And the people are always reaching for a surrogate that they believe will give them the security that they lack. They're always reaching for something that can take the place that can be more secure than the God they, have, they cannot see all the time. Uh, and so here in this scripture, it's a golden calf. But later in the story of the Israelites, it becomes a king. They desire a king to rule them. They want somebody to rule them and sit on a throne that looks like all the other kingdoms of the world. In the time of Jesus, the people come to depend on material wealth and aligning themselves with Caesar. That If we, if we just uh, uh, sort of mix our faith with what's the security that Caesar is offering us, then we will have the best of both worlds. And the people cannot even deal in this moment with Moses being absent from them. And so even Moses has become a kind of stand-in for God's very self. The one uh, who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, the one who speaks and communes with God directly, somehow has begun to take on a, a sort of comfort blanket to the people. And so in some sense, they've already fashioned for themselves an idol, and it's Moses. And so when they come to Aaron, they're just looking for a replacement, something they can look at, something that they can lay hands on, something that they can see and be sure that it's with them. And communities of faith still do this. We still, uh, we still sometimes pattern our existence around one person, around one person's personality who determines so much of who we are and what we are, uh, rather than the movement of God's spirit or the values and priorities of the kingdom of God that Christ came to teach and embody, which have not changed, which have stayed true uh, for 2,000 years, that the values of justice and equity and peace and mercy and grace and unconditional love have been true for 2,000 years, no matter who the pastor is, no matter who the theologian is. And we all have these people in our lives. We have our favorite authors. We have our favorite preachers. We have our our favorite thinkers. Uh, Politically, we have our favorite Uh, We have our favorite uh, political prognosticators and pundits who tell us uh, the truth of of the the world in which we live. But ultimately, even the best leaders fail. Even the best leaders are not their best all the time. 
they will sometimes choose what is expedient over what is faithful. And sometimes their love of being loved will overwhelm their faithfulness to the people. And they will spare a truth that should have been spoken. Or they will resist taking an action that should have been acted upon. And the constant, the, the constant, the only constant is the presence of God. And the desires of God for our lives and for our life together. Those things remain true, even when we're not sure, even when living into them is difficult. And it is difficult to trust God when things are difficult. Uh, When the world around you is unknown, when it's threatening, when resources are scarce, when your life is at stake. And, And that's very much the situation that the people are in in the wilderness. And what these situations call for, among lots of other things that we've been talking about over the past few weeks, but what these situations call for when circumstances are difficult is leadership. And it's leadership that can push people in the direction of the pain that they are looking for a shortcut to avoid. Leadership that can remind the people of God's faithfulness. Leadership that can help the people endure and use the resources available to them, including the presence of God with them, to be transformed, to go through a kind of internal transformation that only happens in the wilderness. And what Aaron does instead is just give the people what they want. Even if it's a betrayal of the very first commandment, to put no other gods before Yahweh. And you could argue that this isn't so much a leadership failure as it is just giving the people what they want. Sometimes people need to be reassured in a moment of crisis. But then when Moses challenges him, Aaron won't take ownership of his decision. Uh, Moses says, what are you doing? And Aaron says, well, you know how these people are. He points the finger at the people describing how out of control they are. Some translations say that Aaron describes the people as prone to evil. He says that uh, the gold went into the fire and out came this calf as if it just happened and and Aaron didn't have any say or or any um, choice in the matter as if there was some other force crafting this idol besides his own. And so this is the second moment when Aaron's leadership fails. He refuses to be accountable for his decision. And leaders uh, own their mistakes. Uh, The wilderness is a a disorienting place to be, both literally and figuratively. Uh, Without a path, without reference points, without a sense of where you're going, your destination, especially without a guide, someone to lead you. Uh, We human beings can endure uh, great hardships. We can endure long, arduous journeys, even when they're with uncertain destinations. But we do need to be rooted in identity. We do need uh, to be rooted in the things that make us who we are and the values that have brought us this far. Uh, Jesus was born to a people who were under Roman occupation. 
and the people were being made poorer and poorer uh, with a heavy foot of the Roman Empire on their necks. And some of Jesus' own people, including the priestly class, the leaders that the people looked to to represent the presence of God to them, had betrayed their vocation in order to reap the material benefit that the empire had to offer. The priests, rather than um, leading the people toward the presence of God and providing resistance to Caesar, we're taking Caesar's money and taking the people's money so as to live lives of comfort. Uh, in our reading for the Revolution book study, we've uh, read Obrey Hendrick's description of what a difficult place this puts the people in, in a wilderness time. Because life is difficult and survival is not taken for granted, and yet the people you count on to point you in the direction of God's presence are part of your oppression. I think over these past months, what we have needed more than anything at all levels and in all areas of our life are leaders who will tell us the truth. All of us uh, want to go back to school. Uh, we, want to, we want to see our kids go back to school. We want to go back to doing the things that we enjoy. We want to go back to worshiping together. We want to go back to fellowshipping together. Uh, but it's been clear all along that, that the truth um, <clears throat> really is a hard one for us to accept. Uh, that this is the situation that we're in and that it's in the best interest uh, of everyone for us not to go back to life as normal. And so often, so many of our leaders in, in all aspects of our life have chosen to tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. And sometimes leaders just have to tell the hard, difficult truth that people don't want to hear even if they don't want to shake the pastor's hand after she said it, even if they don't want to vote for that person next term, sometimes we have to tell the truth. Uh, it was into this context that Jesus came. And he came into this context of a people who were in wilderness, who were struggling to survive. And he came as a leader who could not be bought. And this is what made him so dangerous. This is why both religious people and government people conspired to get rid of him. And while there were many words of assurance and words of comfort that Jesus spoke in the midst of their hardship, he also never spared the people the truth for convenience or the interest of self-preservation. Uh, anybody who um, has had to tell the truth a hard truth to someone they know, they love. You know that <clears throat> speaking hard truths is, is often not uh, done out of a place of malice or out of place of harm. It's done out of deep love. A love that is um, that honors the other uh, in such a way that you are willing to tell them the truth rather than insult them with a falsehood. And this is the depth of love that Christ has for us. He loves us enough to tell us the truth, even if it's a truth that we don't want to hear. And so the challenge for us who would receive this gospel is to believe that the ways in which Jesus leads us, to receive the challenges that Jesus puts before us that can often seem costly, even in the midst of a wilderness time, are ultimately taking us toward a place that where our salvation lies, toward a promised land that we call the kingdom of God. 
Um, we are tempted, especially now it's election season. We are tempted now to put our faith in this person or that, this leader or that. Uh, but there's only one leader among us uh, who loves us, who loves us more than he loves to be loved. Uh, he has come to prepare the way for us. He came to lay down his life for us. He came to show us what a path through the wilderness might look like. One with obedience and faithfulness, one that trusts in the deep presence of God, even when the road is hard to walk. Amen.